and open your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 24. So we come almost to the end of our study of the Gospel of Luke. And we come to chapter 24. We'll be looking this evening at verses 1 through 45. Let's give our attention to this reading of the Word of God. Luke 24, beginning with verse 1, reading through verse 45. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad, Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb of those and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road as he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they, they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses... And the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we come to you tonight thankful for your word. Thankful for this glorious message that Christ is not among the dead He is living, and we may know him, and we may serve him and love him. Would you bless your word to us this night as we think upon these glorious truths? For your praise and honor, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The words of Solomon in Proverbs 16:9 he writes the mind of man plans his way but the lord directs his steps i think that probably most of us have experienced those times and situations where things just didn't go quite like we thought they would and i think our text tonight is an excellent illustration 
of that truth. Because here in this final chapter of Luke's gospel, Luke takes us, as it were, by the hand and leads us to the very pinnacle of his gospel account of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically to the moment of his resurrection from the dead. But the way that Luke takes us there and the way that Luke unfolds this glorious event may not be exactly what we expected. What I mean by that is this, that if you or I had written an account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, I feel fairly safe in saying we probably would have done it a little differently. We would have had all the apostles gathered together and all the faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ parading through the streets of Jerusalem with shouts and hymns of praise to God. We would, we would have them with excitement and maybe trumpets and music and even dancing because Christ had risen from the dead. More than likely... We would have wanted to see Christ seated on his heavenly throne, proclaiming loudly the words of Revelation 1, 17 and 18, saying, I am he who lives, who was dead, but am now alive forevermore. It would have been a glorious scene. One that surely would have elicited much praise from the people of God in that situation. They would have been rejoicing because Christ had risen from the dead. He had conquered death and hell and sin and the devil and he was alive. But of course, that's not exactly... (laughs) the way Luke presents it, is it? Instead, Luke presents the resurrection of Christ through the eyes and through the experiences of three different groups of people. We have the women who went to the tomb early in the morning. We have the two Emmaus travelers. And we have the 11 Apostles gathered together in the evening. And my friends, each one of these groups of people have a lot to say to us, a lot to teach us about seeing the glory of the resurrected Christ. So we're going to look at those three groups of individuals. First, the resurrected Christ and the women. You realize the very first people to discover that Jesus had risen from the dead was this small group of women. 
A group of women that had followed him faithfully and ministered to his needs throughout his earthly life. It includes at least four, possibly five, Marys. In other words, Mary was a very common name in that day. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus. We have Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven demons. We have Salome, who was Mary, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and the other Mary. And when you look into all the different passages that describe this woman, I think the best option is that this Mary was the wife of Cleopas. We're going to hear about him in just a little bit. He was, she was the mother of James the Less. So there were multiple Jameses, there were multiple Marys, but here are this group of Marys, and then there is one named Joanna, who was also present that day at the tomb. But what stands out here, at least to me, is the fact that these dedicated women were not going to the tomb to welcome or greet the resurrected Christ. They were going to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus with the spices that they had prepared for that procedure. Again, I I think their labors that morning early in the morning, must have been mixed with many tears as they prepared those spices for the body of Jesus. Their walk to the sepulcher that day was probably a very quiet, mournful journey. They weren't walking out to the sepulcher singing, Christ the Lord has risen today. That's not what they were expecting. These dedicated women, their hearts were filled with grief and sorrow and disappointment. Their foremost thought was who's going to roll away the stone for us so we can do our task now, keep in mind, this, this stone is covering a large opening. Probably that stone is four to five feet in diameter. This is not a rock. This is a stone used to seal sepulchers or tombs. And they're concerned, how are we going to move that stone so we can anoint the body of Jesus with the spices? Well, to their dismay, when they arrive, they discover that the stone has already been rolled away. And the body of Jesus is gone. So not only are they thinking he's dead, he's in the grave, we're going to anoint the body in the tomb... But now the body is gone. Verse 3 tells us that they went into the tomb, which is empty. 
And they're not thinking, oh, of course, up from the grave he rose. That's not what's on their minds. They're brokenhearted. They're perplexed. And they're weeping. They do not understand what has happened. And they are deeply troubled over the circumstances. Now, my friends, we're not going to be walking out to a tomb and finding it empty because someone has been resurrected from the dead. But you may be facing circumstances that you just don't understand. Lord, why has this happened? Why am I in this situation? It might be a situation that is very sad and troubling to you. Let me encourage you to pay very close attention to verses 5 through 8. Because what enabled these broken-hearted women to rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the very same thing that will enable you and me in the midst of whatever problems or sorrows we may encounter to rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what the angel said? Why do you seek the living among the dead? And then they said, Remember, remember his words. Remember what he taught you. Remember what he explained to you. Our Savior had talked about this numerous times. In Luke's gospel, Luke 9, Luke 11, Luke 18, multiple times Jesus had explained what was going to happen. That he was going to be arrested. He was going to be delivered into the hands of wicked men. He was going to die a cruel death, but on the third day, he would rise again. And the angels say, remember, remember what he told you. My friends, we do not serve a dead Christ. We do not worship one who is in some tomb outside of Jerusalem. The resurrection is something that the word of God from the very beginning, as we're going to see in a moment, to the very end, heralds that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. It is something that Jesus himself talked about, as I said repeatedly. It is something that Peter Long after the resurrection, on his first sermon, do you remember what he says? Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. In verse 22, he's speaking to the men of Israel. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. But he was delivered by the purpose and foreknowledge of God. You, you have taken him <clears throat> by lawless hands and have crucified him and put him to death. 
whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death. And then in verse 29, after quoting the Psalms and what David had said, he said, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this very day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his body see corruption. My friends, these women needed to remember what Jesus had told them about his resurrection. They needed to remember what the prophets of old had told about the resurrection of Christ. You and I need to remember those words as well. Do you remember what Paul says in Colossians 3, 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need to spend more time in the word of God. Those words we need to remember. Every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day, remember. Remember why we're here. We're here because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he is the son of God and savior of sinners. And we come together tonight to worship him. Remember every Lord's day those promises that he has given of comfort, of assurance that he will receive all who come to him by faith. Come to me, he says. And I will give you rest. Remember, my friends, the promises of forgiveness of sin. We come every Lord's Day and weighed down with the guilt of our transgressions. But he says their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And if one confesses those sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us those sins and cleanse us, wash us from all our iniquities. Remember the words he speaks of protection from the wicked one. Remember words of strength that if we will put on the armor of God, we will be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil. Remember, remember those words that he has spoken. Let me read a passage from 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 2, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And then listen, as his divine power has given to us all things, all things that pertain to life 
and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. My friend, there is not one thing you need to live a life of godliness that he has not given us in the word of God. And then he says in verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may be partakers of the divine nature. It is through his word, through the promises, exceeding great and precious promises that he has given us in his word. Remember his words. And it will enable you to see the glory of this resurrected Christ. Verse 8 of our text tells us, Then they remembered, and they immediately go to tell the apostles with great joy and confidence that Christ is risen from the dead. We're told that Peter runs to the grave. John amplifies this a little bit and says both Peter and John ran. John goes in and believes, but Peter is not convinced. We'll see that at the end of our text this evening. Secondly, the resurrected Christ and the Emmaus travelers. Now, the scene presented in verses 13 through 35 is familiar, I would expect, to many of us, especially those words that they speak when they say, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us the word of God? I still remember as a 15-year-old believer, the very first message that I listened to that wasn't actually in the church was a tape by Stephen Olford on this passage. Some of you might remember what a tape is. But it's, uh, this was a message that, that set my affections on fire. And it did that for these two disciples. But that's not where they started out. We read that these two men were walking to Emmaus. It was approximately seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, everybody walks at a different pace, but on average, it would have taken just under two hours for them to make this journey. They're walking. They're talking about the events that have taken place, and suddenly, someone joins them. It's not unusual. Read the Pilgrim's Progress, and you see that very thing taking place as different people join with Christian and hopeful Jesus joins them, but they do not see him. They do not know him. They do not recognize him. And he begins to ask them, so what, are you, what is it you're talking about? What is it, my friends, that have, have made you so obviously sad? Like the women, these, these two men are, are full of sorrow, and they're sad. In verse 18, Cleopas, the husband of one of the Marys, it is he who says, are you the only person in town who doesn't know what's happened? 
And then they begin to explain how Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, a man mighty in, in deed and in word, blessed by God, was taken and condemned to death and crucified. And then in verse 21, we have these telling words. They said, we had hoped, we were hoping that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. It, it says it all. We had hoped, but we saw him die. We were there. We watched him put to death, crucified on the cross. Their hopes had been dashed. So here they are, hoping, but no longer. And not only that, they said certain of our women went to the tomb to anoint the body, but he wasn't there. And, and then they come back talking about a vision of angels. And Jesus was nowhere to be found. I think it's very important that we remember. Brethren, these, these are not two skeptics. These are not two rationalists who have been steeped in, in liberal theology and deny the resurrection. They're struggling. These were committed followers of Jesus whose faith has been shaken to the core. My friends, it's not just unbelievers who struggle at times with doubt and fear. Here are two dedicated followers of Jesus and their faith is shaken. But unlike the women, it's not because they are not remembering the words of Jesus. They are giving a very detailed explanation to this stranger of who this was, of what he had said and what he had done. They were recounting very well all the details about Jesus. Their problem was they knew what he had said, but they had not believed it. And so Jesus' words to them are very pointed when he says, Oh, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have said, especially the resurrection. That was not on their minds. They had hoped he would redeem Israel, but now they are filled with doubts. They saw him die, and now he's nowhere to be found. And beginning with Moses... Where does that take us? What books did Moses write? 
The first one was probably Genesis. And more specifically, Genesis 3.15. That God was going to raise up one who would crush the serpent's head. And Jesus is saying, you, you're slow of heart to believe what the prophets have said. And what Moses has said. And my friends, we could use a good dose of this medicine. Not just to remember the words of Jesus, but to believe them. To embrace them. To follow them like we believe they're true. Everything that the word of God has to say. You can't pick and choose what you like and disbelieve the things you don't. All scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed, is inspired by God. Everything that the word of God has to say, what it teaches about creation, what it teaches about the way of salvation, what it teaches about the forgiveness of sin, what it teaches about the virgin birth, and what it teaches about the resurrection. We need to rebuke our souls when they are slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Well, we read that they arrive at their destination. They invite Jesus to stay. He acts as if he's going to keep traveling. And they said, no, it's too late. Please stay with us this evening. They go in. They sit down to eat and drink. And Jesus takes bread. And he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he hands it to those two travelers. And their eyes are opened. Uh, personally, it, it, just the way this reads, it, it seems to indicate to me that what happens as Jesus extends his hands with bread for these men, they see the marks in his wrist. Now, that's speculation. But whatever happens, their eyes are open. And they recognize him. And he vanishes from their sight. One of the things I think we can say again from this is that our resurrected, glorified bodies are not going to be anything like the ones we have now. Jesus comes and goes with the doors locked. He disappears. I don't even think we can fathom what we're talking about here. But Jesus makes himself known to them. And they say, did not our hearts burn when we were on the road? And he made known to us the scriptures. My friends, if we believe the resurrection and the ascension and we believe the whole of the word of God, that he came into this world, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a substitutionary death, and then he rose from the dead, we're also going to believe 
Romans 10, 14. Romans 10, 14 says, How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Actually, the word of is not there in the original. And we heard it this morning. I can't remember who said it, but we heard it this morning. How shall we believe whom we have not heard? Because every time we gather together on the Lord's day and we hear the faithful proclamation of the truth of the word of God, Jesus is speaking to you and to me. He's still speaking. And our hearts ought to burn within us as we hear that word being proclaimed, as we are taught, as we are comforted, as we are assured of our salvation, as we are brought to worship him, our hearts should burn within us because the resurrected Christ is speaking through his word by his spirit. Well, these men are so excited, they can't contain themselves. And they rise up and they make a two-hour trip back to Jerusalem after dark. And they gather together, they go in, they find the disciples gathered together, only now they're excited. And it's hard to tell exactly who is saying what. But one of them is saying to the other, the Lord has risen indeed. There's no question. We are firmly convinced about this. And he has appeared to Simon. Now, none of the gospel writers record that exchange. Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 15, that the Lord appeared to the women and that he appeared to Cephas or Simon or Peter. But that's all we have. But whoever it was, whether it was the 11 or whether it was the two Emmaus travelers, they said the Lord is risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Well, lastly, the resurrected Christ and the 11 disciples. Verse 33 indicates everyone's together now. The women are there and they are absolutely filled with joy. The two Emmaus travelers are there, and they are more convinced than ever. Jesus is alive. We've seen him. But the 11, the apostles, were the last ones on this resurrection day to be gently drawn in full faith and assurance to the resurrected Christ. Even when Jesus appears to them and we're told that he speaks to them and says, peace to you. They're still not convinced. They're afraid. They're frightened. They don't know what to make of this. This this is a ghost. This is a spirit who is appearing to us. This is not real. But then Jesus 
says in verse 38, why are you troubled? It's me, me, myself, I myself. And Jesus says, here, here, my hands, feel them, touch them, examine me and see a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I have. And then it, it, it's almost amazing that he says, is there anything to eat around here? And they give him a piece of broiled fish and he eats it in front of them. And then he preaches a sermon, another sermon, not just about what Moses said, not just about what the prophets have said, but what everything in the Psalms, all the messianic Psalms, Jesus expounds and explains. I got a feeling this was a sermon much longer than this one. Jesus explains to them the scriptures. Now, all of those were good things, but there was one more thing they needed, and that we find the resurrected Christ giving them in verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he opened their understanding. Listen, brothers and sisters, young people, you can have all the evidence in the world and it will not convince you that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You can have the faithful testimony of multiple people who have seen and experienced the power and the grace of Christ, and it will not convince you that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You can even have the most fabulous preaching of the word of God and it will not convince you of the resurrection unless Jesus opens your understanding. Unless he opens your eyes and ears to see and to know and to understand. Is this not exactly what the psalmist prayed for? In Psalm 119, verse one, or 18, open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Is this not what the apostle Paul prays for, for the Ephesian church? That he does not cease day and night to pray for them that they might be strengthened in the inner man and be able to understand the truths of the gospel? My friends, Jesus must open our understanding. The ability to see the glory and the beauty of the resurrected Christ stands or falls upon this gracious work of God 
changing our hearts and enlightening our minds and opening our understanding. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. He says, the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard, the mind of man has not perceived, has not understood the things that God has in store for those who love him. But by the Spirit, he makes them known to us. My friends, has God done that for you? Has your heart been changed? Has your mind been enlightened? I'm not talking about facts and figures. I'm talking about the reality of the risen Christ ministering his grace to us day by day, but especially meeting with us on the Lord's day. If you have that, if God has opened your understanding to comprehend the scriptures, especially the resurrection, praise God for it because it's an act of his mercy. We don't deserve it. If you don't have that yet, go to God right now and ask him, change my heart. Take away the heart of stone. Put within its place a heart of flesh. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to comprehend the glorious truth of the gospel. My friends, every Lord's Day, every single time we gather together in this place, and every time God's people all around the world gather together on the first day of the week, listen, the glorified, risen, ascended King stands among the churches. He stands in our midst and he speaks to us the glorious truth of his word. But we're not going to see it and we're not going to understand it if we don't remember his words, if we don't believe those words, and if he doesn't open our understanding to comprehend them. Parents, pray for your children that God would open their understanding. Brothers and sisters, pray for your lost family members that God would open their understanding. Pray for your brothers and sisters in this congregation and other congregations that God would open our understanding so that we, like these apostles, could boldly go forth and proclaim Christ is risen and ascended and is coming again. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, how can we begin 
to speak adequate words of praise and thanks for your truth. How we thank you for this passage from Luke where so many individuals' lives were changed by that word of truth. Would you do that here in this place for each one here? And Lord, may you be exalted and glorified. May Christ, our resurrected King, be loved and adored all the more. We pray in his name. Amen.